All right, first things first. Caleb, can you come up? I didn't tell you about this. Just come up. Uh, I just have a few questions for you. Don't worry, you're fine. There we go. I'm going to give you this. All right. So, yes, Caleb. Oh, yeah, it's a good-looking dude. Thanks. Uh, you know, so, Caleb, tonight I'm going to be talking about identity. How do you identify yourself? And so I just kind of want to do a, a little mock play here. So imagine, imagine me as one of your parents' friends. So I'm older. Which one? Uh, let's say your mom. I'm one of your mom's friends. <laughs> all right, all right. So pretend I'm one of your mom's friends. Sure. And you've never met me, right? Okay, yeah. I'm not Austin anymore. Okay. Someone else. I mean, you've never met me. And what is, like, the first question that when someone that's, like, your parents' age meets you for the first time, one of the first things they ask you is, so tell me something about yourself, right? Yeah, so, Caleb, I come up. Hi, Caleb. Hey. Uh, my name is uh, one of your mom's friends, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. My name's Jenny. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, so tell me something about yourself. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a musician, I guess. Oh, you're a yeah. musician? You guess? I guess. I am, yes. Oh, yeah? I am a musician. You hope to do anything with that? I would. That would be nice. That'd be nice? It's not the main goal, but it'd be nice. Cool. Well, what, what's your goal in life? I'll tell you when I, when I figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not exactly how I planned it. But, uh, right, so you, when, when someone meets you, and generally, you know, I'm, I'm playing like one of your parents' friends, because honestly, you guys don't care this much about each other's life goal plans. But when they meet you, they say, tell me something about yourself, right? Caleb says, he's a musician, right? Yeah. I'm going to let you take a seat. I'm not going to extend this any longer for you. You're welcome. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, round of applause for Caleb. So when someone meets you, they say, tell me something about yourself. Basically what they're asking, usually, and tell me if I'm dead wrong on this, but this has been my experience, especially as you start getting to the age where you are either considering college, going to college, or considering work, military, whatever. What they mean is, how are you doing in school? What do you want to study? Where are you going to go to school next? Or what are you going to do next? Uh, and how are you going to use that in life? Right? Fair? Generally, those are the bullet points. Like when you have a dinner meeting with older family members or whoever, that's what they want to know. Right? So those questions are forming who, you, who and what your identity is. Uh, your identity being just how other people see you, how you describe yourself. If I was to introduce myself, if you don't know me, my name is Austin. Uh, I would tell you that I have lived here, literally up the street, uh, my entire life. Uh, I love Seattle. I love this area. I go to school at UW. Uh, go dogs. I love sports. Um, at UW, I'm studying political science, but I don't want to do anything with that degree. Uh, I don't really care about it. Um, that's a lie. I do care about it, but I don't want to go into political science as a uh, business. And so I would tell you those kind of things uh, if you were to meet me for the very first time and you asked, right? So that would be the makeup of my rough identity, right? So what I want to ask tonight is basically this question is, how does our identity affect our actions? And we're going to go through three separate identities in this uh, study, in this story. We're in Esther 5. We're going to go through three separate ones and how they affect each person's actions. Um, cool. So right now, let's do a quick recap where we're at. Uh, we're going through the story of Esther, book of Esther, uh, this is the Spark Notes version of what's happened. We're in chapter 5, so there's been four chapters before this. Uh, basically, Israel is a country, but they're conquered by these people called Persia. Uh, they're living in the Persian Empire. 
um, partly. Some of them are in exile, some of them are allowed to go home, but our, our character here, Esther, uh, she is living in, uh, in the Persian Empire, not in Israel. She's away from home. Uh, and she is basically chosen to be queen through a really, really messed up uh, tryout with the king, basically having to sleep with him for one night. It's just horrible, it's messed up, but she's chosen to be queen. Uh, and she is just a girl. She's your guys' age or younger. Um, and so that's, that's who Esther is. Meanwhile, uh, she is being told by her guardian, who's named Mordecai, who's like an older cousin. Uh, and he's telling her, hey, because this is just really dangerous, you're in a tough situation, hide your identity, don't tell him you're a Jew, kind of like keep it on the down low. Uh, he, he's telling her, like, lay low, whatever. Um, meanwhile, while all of this is happening, this really bad dude named Haman becomes number two in command of the kingdom. He's kind of like the king's vice president. And uh, because he gets raised to this level, uh, he expects everyone to bow down before him, but Mordecai doesn't, and he knows Mordecai's a Jew, so he does the very rational response and says, I want to kill all of the Jews because one of them won't bow to me. Uh, and so Haman sends out this decree on behalf of the king and now Mordecai, in the last chapter, right where we're coming up to, Mordecai tells Esther, hey, remember how I told you hide your identity as a Jew? Forget all of that. Go tell the king that you're a Jew and tell him to please stop this decree that's going to kill all of us. The one catches, if Esther goes to the king and the king didn't ask for her to appear, uh, he has every right, it's actually the expectation, to execute her unless he extends a gold scepter to her and says, no, actually, I'll save you. So, that's our build-up. That's where we're at. Uh, you know, I would love for this to just be, like, super, super uh, climactic and, like, an epic story of, like, this showdown where Esther is about to go meet the king. But uh, this is how it goes. When he, the king, saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out, the, her, or held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Verse 2 of the chapter, this epic duel is set. Esther has to go before the king. She might die. And the king is like, oh, cool, you're here. That, so that's it. That's, that's where we're at. Esther is saved before the king. Uh, I don't want to belittle that, but it is really not that climactic. It's pretty anticlimactic. She's saved by the king. Um, so Esther is now in the king's presence, and she has his audience. He actually says to her, uh, ask whatever you wish, up to half the kingdom, I will grant it, which is a little bit of hyperbole. He doesn't actually mean, yeah, take half of my kingdom and it's all yours. He means, I'll pretty much give you whatever you want. Uh, so now, I, I said tonight we want to talk about identity. So I want to talk about how does Esther's identity play into this story, about what she's about to do uh, with the king. So Esther kind of undergoes a identity shift from the start of the story to where we're at now. Um, at first, Esther, while she's going through this horrible tryout with the king, with all the other uh, young women and everything, it feels like she's getting tossed and turned around. She's being told by Mordecai, hide who you are, don't reveal it, don't reveal your identity, uh, literally. So it feels like she's forced to be a little bit reactionary. Uh, she, she doesn't get to really be who she is. Uh, as opposed to now, so she appears before the king very calm, collected, it says as she goes into the king's throne room, she's wearing her royal robes. Uh, she, she fasted for three days. She had planned this out. Um, so she's very calm and collective. She's got all of this down. Uh, and the reason why, and we'll talk about this more, is that she identified herself 
with God. She put herself on God's side. Um, so that's why she gets to be calm and collected in this very difficult trial. Um, so how does this identity affect her actions? Uh, it's one thing just to talk about it, but how, how do we actually see it uh, affecting her actions? So starting back, chapter 4, um, when I said Mordecai tells Esther, hey, reveal your identity. Esther replies and says, okay, I'll do it, but first I want all of the Jews in the kingdom to fast for three days. Uh, this is significant because she's falling back on what she knows to be true. She's falling back on uh, her identity with God there because she's saying, you know what, this is very important and I want to recognize that, so let's go before God for three days before I go in. I need to prepare for three days with God. Uh, so her identity is that she knows that Israel is God's chosen people. She knows that she's a part of that. She's identifying with that. Uh, next, so that's the fasting. Next, respect. When she puts on the gold, or not the gold robes, but they probably had gold, the, the royal robes before the king, she's putting on a sign of respect. Uh, she's, she's also demanding a little bit of respect from the king and that, hey, remember my position. Uh, he has every right, every ability to kill her, but she's being very wise with that and, and uh, putting on the robes. Also, when she actually approaches the king, uh, Look at what she says. If it pleases the king, replied Esther. Take notes if you're learning how to have good manners. If it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Now, part of this that went over my head at first, but remember what she's going to the king to request. And a decree was issued to kill all of her people. And how does she approach him? Not in a wild craze, not screaming and yelling, not in anger, frustration, very calmly, very collected. If it pleases you, please come to this party I planned for you. That's her response. It's very, very respectful. It's very calm and collected. She's very put together and clearly came up with this plan. But she's, because she's identified with God on her side, she's able to approach him with that kind of respect as opposed to just wild, wild desperation. Um, next, patience. She exercises patience in her request. Uh, she, the king says, right before that, he says, I will give you half the kingdom, and she doesn't ask for what she came for. She asks to take him to a party, to throw a party for him, but she doesn't ask to save her people. She's, she's uh, showing patience here. Uh, it, it seems odd at first, but, but we really see, and she'll do this again, actually. She'll throw a second party uh, on a second day. So for two days, she's putting off her main request. It seems weird, but it's a lot of wisdom being exercised there in her patience. And lastly, uh, kindness and faithfulness. Uh, we see in these parties a lot of kindness being displayed. Same with the, if it pleases the king. A lot of kindness displayed to a man that has the power and actually is about to execute all of her people. Um, and she's, she's uh, part of this is her wisdom in throwing the parties. Uh, if you read the first part, you know the king loves a good party. Uh, what king doesn't, but this king especially loves a good party, so she's being patient, wise, and kind, and throwing in the parties and making sure that he is in the best possible mood uh, for her request. So it's because Esther is confident in her identity with God. It's because of that confidence in that identity that, that she's able to just ex exercise this patience. If it was in anything else, she couldn't possibly be patient like that, especially after the king kind of dangles it right in front of her, that I'll give you whatever you want. Next. Next identity, Haman. 
So Haman's the other guy. Haman's the bad guy, right? Number two in command, the guy that wants to kill all the Jews just because one of them won't bow to him. Uh, talk about a temper. Uh, this dude's identity is 100% in his success and pride in his success. 110%. And this is actually insanely straightforward. Uh, it's almost like just laughable about how uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve about this. Um, so how does this affect his actions? Well, let's look in verse 11 and 12 where he talks about it. So it says, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons. Them is his wife and his friends, by the way. So his vast wealth, his many sons, and all of the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. But wait, that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she invited me along with the king tomorrow. This dude is like so insufferable to hang around. This is the person that, this isn't even humble bragging anymore. This is straight bragging. This is the person that always just brags about everything great going on in their lives. And so he's doing this to his wife and friends. Poor, poor them who have to, to listen to this. But basically, here's what, here's what Haman's saying. Haman is saying, I'm super rich. I've got a ton of sons. By the way, why is he bragging about how many sons he has to his wife? I think she knows. I hope she knows. Uh, so... Haman's bragging about he's rich, he's got a ton of sons, he's got a great family, uh, and my boss really, really likes me and gave me a better job than everyone else. Uh, so I got a sweet new job, a sweet promotion, and my boss really likes me. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, gosh, this guy's annoying. He just really, really is annoying. Uh, yet, there's one catch. Oh, there's the other thing, is that he's like, I get to go to the exclusive parties with my boss and his wife. So he's kind of third-wheeling, I guess. I don't really get it, but I guess that's a high point for him. Uh, and so there's a catch, though. He brags about all this, but then he complains, but all of this gives me no satisfaction. I'm rich. I have a bunch of kids. It's a great family. I've got a great job, and I'm going to these exclusive parties, but it gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. He's got everything like, what else do you want, bro? He's got everything. His identity, his, his success and pride, he's, he's successful. Clearly, he's proud of his success, but those are also his downfall because he takes no satisfaction just because Mordecai won't bow to him. Now, just because Mordecai won't bow to him, when he sees him, he gets really, really angry. Crazy. Mordecai's just total stick in the mud to, uh, to Haman. So, here's the deal about Haman. Here's the deal. Haman's living the American dream. Like, for all of us in here, he's kind of got everything going for him, right? He's got a good family. He's got a good job. And he's stinking rich. Uh, that's pretty much, like, what we're told to shoot for, right? So, that what I asked at the beginning, like, how do you identify yourself? Uh, people want to know, like, how you're doing in school. They want to know how you're doing in school because how you're doing in school and where you're going to go to school and what you're going to study determines will you get a good job. Is a good job a paying job or is it a job where you're happy? It's usually a well-paying job. So how you're doing in school equals how much money you're going to make. 
they care uh, when you reach my age and you're still single. Uh, they care a lot on if you get a girlfriend yet or not, especially my parents. Uh, but, uh, you know, have a good family. Have a good nuclear American family. Mom, dad, kids. Nuclear family, very important. Uh, and just have money. Be rich. Be able to buy whatever you want. Live in a great home, great neighborhood, great car, all that kind of stuff. Haman's living the American dream. He's got all of it, right? He's totally rocking it. Yet, for Haman and for the American dream alike, all of that leads to unhappiness. Why? Because there will always, if that's what you're shooting for, if your goal is success and pride, if that's what you're shooting for, there will always be something. There's either going to be someone that's better off than you or someone that will just annoy you or bug you, or have something against you that you cannot get over. That's just how it is. That's always how it is. There's so many rich people that are depressed, and we look at them, we think, you got it all. But they don't. If if it hasn't been made clear yet, in this story, we like to identify as Esther, right? We like to think we're the good guys. Reality is, we're Haman. We're shooting for that. We're shooting for a good family, Good job. Money. Right? That's, that's reality. Look at our actions. That's what we're shooting for. A lot of you guys are in uh, AP testing. You got finals coming up. Uh, you know, people care. You might care about getting really good grades because it, it's going to affect the college that you get to go to. And why does that matter? Because if you don't go to a good college, then you can't get a good job. Why does that matter? If you can't get a good job, you can't make a lot of money. Like, ultimately, it all boils down to this. It's success. Success for yourself and success in the eyes of others. That's not where we leave it, though. This isn't, I'm not just trying to roast you guys. I'm, I'm totally in the same boat. But there's a third identity. There's a third identity in this story. So we titled this series, Where is God in Esther? Because God is never mentioned in the book by name. He's never explicitly there. Um, so where is God in this book? Well, he's the third identity, an identity in Christ. And this is what we should shoot for. How does an identity in Christ affect our actions. We know how an identity like Haman's, an identity in success and pride affects our actions. How does an identity in Christ affect our actions? Well, first of all, it's a total shift in priorities. It's just like, flip it 180. Uh, God doesn't really care if you have a good job, go to a good school, and have a lot of money. Um, Actually, he kind of says the opposite. But here is what God measures for success. Do you love me? And do you love others? The two greatest commandments. Jesus says those can sum up the entire Old Testament. By the way, that's where the story is. So do you love God? Do you love others? Those are your benchmarks for success. So here's what I want you to remember. When we're talking about an identity in Christ, what does it mean to take that on? Here's what I want you to remember before we even get to that is we're we're identifying with the God of the universe, right? He's, he's calling. He's saying, hey, come to my side. Come to my team. Join my family. Identify with me. Be a part of this. And the person that's calling you to that is the one that created everything. He's the one that created me and you. He knows everything about me and you, the good and bad, uh, good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, and yet, in all of that, he still wants you to be a part of his team. He's calling you over saying, identify with me, align yourself with me. It just seems crazy, right? All he asks in return, come to my side. All I ask is if you identify with me, it means you follow me. 
Wherever I go, you go too. That's it. It's that simple. Really, it's, it's that simple. Wherever God calls you to go, wherever he goes, just follow him. That's all it means to identify with him. And that is where my struggle comes into place. Me personally, right? Because the hard thing is, I really do want to love God, because I recognize that. I recognize those things intellectually about him, that, that I do believe that God created everything. I believe that, that he does love me. I know that he loves me, because actually, he's kind of perfect at it, and I'm really not that, well, or not that good at loving him back. So it's kind of like, I feel like it's un- imbalanced. So intellectually, I know those things. But that becomes my stumbling block, too, because I know that he loves me so much, and I can't really love him back that well, so it's why really bother, right? It's kind of hard. Like, I'm never really going to live up to it. What's the point? I might as well just try to do the best I can at other things. See, but the thing is, the stumbling block should not be that we can't really love him the way that he deserves, because he knows that. It really is as simple as just being faithful to him and following him. Wherever he goes, you go. Doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter uh, whether or not you're successful to anyone else but to him. That's all he cares about. Remember, benchmarks for success. How well do you love God? How well do you love others? Those are your two benchmarks. So what's really important to you? What are your goals in life, and do they measure up with those benchmarks? That's how you know whether or not you've met them. No matter what you think you identify as, uh, or, or uh, just what you think your goals are, they're going to fall under one of the two categories. They're either going to be in Haman's category or Jesus' category. It's one of the two. Uh, they're the only two options. And the deal is... Uh, those have serious consequences on your life now, tomorrow, future, whatever. Uh, and, and they can really steer and change the direction of your lives. And so I just want to give you guys uh, a minute, uh, or a couple minutes, I guess, and, and give you some personal reflection time. Uh, you know, sometimes we have you break up into groups, not doing that, just stay where you're at, uh, be alone. Uh, and it's just between you and God right now, and I want you to think about your identity. Think about, is your identity more in your success, how other people view your success, the more in your personal pride, or is it more along the lines of, am I following God? Do I love him, and do I love others well? Right? Those are the two categories. And so just take a minute, maybe even before you start praying, which is just talking to God, before you even start spending some time with him, just while you're doing that, just think. You know, really, like, where am I lining up here? Like, just self-examination in your life. Where do you line up? Uh, I just want to encourage you guys while we do this, close your eyes. Have your hands empty. Like, if you have your phone or something to twiddle with, I just encourage you, like, just drop it for a minute and just kind of keep your hands in your lap, fold them, whatever, uh, and just let this be between you and God and let this just be a minute without distraction or anything where you can just think and then talk to him. Uh, And then... I would just challenge you to be willing to ask him to do whatever it takes to to help you identify with him in the way that he wants you to. Uh, That's the challenge. And when I say be willing to do whatever it takes, that might be painful. So really think about the consequences of what you're about to ask. So take a minute with, 
with your, uh, just between you and God. Pray to him, talk to him, think, whatever it takes. Uh, and then we'll close in worship in a little bit. I'll close you guys in prayer before we start singing. Sound good? God, I just pray that for all of us here, that wherever we're at, wherever um, we just told you we're at, uh, that I pray that, first of all, that was honest. Uh, you already know. You know where each of us are at, and you know what we're going through, what our thoughts are, and, and all of that, and yet you still love us so. So I pray that um, in spite of whatever we feel like we've done, like Tegan said, sometimes we feel unworthy of being loved by you. I just pray that we recognize that you do love and care about us, that you want us to be uh, identified with you, to be on your side, to be on your team, uh, to be a part of your family as adopted children. Uh, I just pray wherever we're at, uh, you give us the strength, the courage to follow you, to love you, to obey you, to listen to you, go where you go, just dedicate our lives to you, to serving you and serving uh, others, just how you called us. God, I pray these things in your name. Amen.